we are all CEOs of our of our own destiny. And so if you want to get to the next level, find someone who is at that next level and ask them how did they get there. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is DJ. DJ, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. Nice to meet you. Wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for being here and joining us, DJ. Before we get started, would you share with me and this audience the role that you're in today and the company that you're working for? Yes. Yes. Today, I'm the director of product marketing at a company called Oyster. We're a company that allows HR companies, software companies to hire people globally. So you can hire anyone, no matter where they live, for your growing business. Uh, we hire, manage, and take care of your global workforce. Hire, manage, and take care of your global workforce. That's pretty enticing given the state of the world and, you know, kind of the demand to find talent across the board anywhere. When you say global, like, are your clients actually leveraging global employees or are you just working globally for your clients? So they, they, they do, they hire globally. So our customers are mainly like US or European customers. Uh, we are trying to more or less level the playing field and to provide equal access to opportunities for talent in emerging economies. And so these companies will come to us. They've already usually got someone they want to hire and they would want to use our platform so that they can do it in a compliant way. They don't want to spend, you know, thousands and thousands of of, of dollars and pounds setting up their own entities. So they, they go to us to manage that entire process for them. So if they were a US-based company, they could hire someone in the UK, for example. In the UK, in Peru, in Ghana. <laughs> and they don't have to set up anything from a entity structure standpoint. All of that's passed through you. Yes, that's right. Yes, because obviously we have our own our own direct entities, which allows us to be able to hire people through our own platform that way. And then the contracts are set all throughout the platform. Localized benefits is there, time off. It's like your all-in-one HR management platform, more or less, a global employment platform. Wow, that's powerful. You know, some of the companies I worked for and even even had some guests on the podcast who have talked about, there are some challenges that come when you expand into other countries and the rules and regulations and having a physical entity and all that good stuff. But you guys take that off the table and say, no, we got it all taken care of. Just come to us. We can handle all that for you. Exactly. And, and I think one of the best things about the Oyster platform as well is we have a treasure trove of knowledge of local regulations, all the information, how much days off does someone need, what's the right medical coverage to provide someone. We provide all that information to you before you make that big leap. Because if you're trying to hire globally, it is 
number one, it's very difficult to do on your own. And there are so many legal loopholes that you could you could end up in legal hot water if you don't do your due diligence. Luckily, we've taken care of all of that so that you can connect with your, your global team and can start hiring and growing as quickly as you need to. <laughs> That's cool, man. I have not hired people internationally, but so no, actually some of the people I, that did work for me were hired in other countries. And thankfully, my people team at the time had taken care of all that, but I know it was no small feat. So that's really wonderful that you have access to all that one information expertise and two, the ability to handle all the contractual stuff to keep the legal side in the yes, open up. Yeah. That's great. And, and not only just for, you know, full-time employees, but for any employment modality as well. So part-time contractors, all sorts. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's fantastic. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing us with us a little bit about Oyster. Now let's rewind the clock and go back and would love for you to share. How did you get into your first people leadership position? Wow. So this takes me all the way back to around 2014 when I first became a digital marketing apprentice. I was an apprentice, but I already had three years worth of marketing experience. I'm a self-taught marketer and web developer, actually. Hang on. When you say when you say self-taught, what exactly do you mean by self-taught? So self-taught means that I'm, I actually went and registered a domain name myself, set up a WordPress via an FTP client back in the day. Things were not so, so, so easy as a you know, point and click as they are now. And from doing that, I also just started playing around with uh, creating content. That was how I how I got got started. Really, I wanted to just put content out in the world, trying to help people to like lead more better, balanced lives. That was the original the original remit behind how I got started. I didn't know what I was doing was actually content marketing, but that was in fact what I was doing. And then I stumbled across SEO and then stumbled across paid acquisition. And then all these things came together, which I then was more or less teaching myself alongside some YouTube videos, you know, to help out here and there. But the actual grunt work, doing it myself, installing Google Analytics myself and all that fun stuff and playing around with JavaScript and just getting getting in, getting into the weeds of everything. You've covered a lot of ground when you were doing this and teaching yourself all these things, everything from the content and the writing to the SEO and the paid pieces and the FTP with WordPress and the site and the and all there's a lot of you know it spans everything from you know creative down to super technical you know how does that line up with your background is that just are you naturally curious and want to like learn how things work or how did that work out it's like in my background I've just always had this desire to try new things learn new things and um, I think that's partly why I'm in the position I am today is because I believe firmly that I've been put on this world to make a difference, not to make up the numbers. And so therefore, I want to explore and just see what I'm capable of. I want to find out what my limit is. I don't think I've found it yet. And so I want to just continue pushing and just learning new things wherever it may take me. <laughs> love it. Love it. And I share so much of that same sentiment. And I, I thank you and I honor you for sharing the reason why you were put on this planet. It doesn't come up too often. And I have something that I share as well as why I was put on this planet, share my gift of coaching, right? And some of this conversations we get to have helps me to do that. And, you know, when we first connected before the recording here, 
you know, I could sense immediately that just how powerful of a presence you were and how driven you were. And that's why I was like, oh, you got to come on. We got to have this conversation, got to share with other people. All right. So there's, there's a lot of background there in, you know, becoming a better person, learning things, learning new things, pushing yourself and not settling, which is wonderful. So I took a little detour because I wanted to know about more about what self-taught really meant. And I think that's a really important theme for people to take away that, you know, in every industry, whatever job, whatever role you're in, there's an awful lot of self-taught that's capable, right? Right. And so then you got into this role as an apprentice. And what happened at that point? Yeah. So at that point, I joined as an apprentice. I wanted to get some like in-house marketing experience and to really discover what it's like to work as part of a marketing team. And so joining a marketing consultancy firm in London, I was responsible at the time for like writing content, more or less the, the things that I actually self, that I taught myself. I was doing day to day in this role. I was writing content, doing on-page SEO, speaking with clients, preparing uh, workshops for the British Library every month. That was really fun. Building pop-ups. I mean, I think I was probably one of the first users to use Optin Monster like almost ten years ago. So it's absolutely fantastic uh, to do and then writing the code myself because the templates were quite limited back then, so I could do my own customization. So that was more or less how I how I got involved and that was my first role, so to speak. Going further from that point as well, I then got promoted to like a content marketing manager to handle, manage the entire blog, to manage our email nurture campaigns, more or less what you would traditionally find in content marketing today, preparing in-person workshops. They now do them virtually, which is great. Uh, but funnily enough, it's like my very first article that I wrote for them at the time that the article was around like how to source open how to find open source images for your blog and how to use youtube uh, to grow your business i think three months after that well less than three months after those articles were published and the seo was done and backlinks and whatnot it became the the most popular articles on for that business and lo and behold Eight years later, a couple of weeks ago, I checked. I went into SEM Rush just to check to see how they're doing. No doubt the content is is still uh, really outdated, but they're still the most performing, the highest performing content since then. You know, I was like 22 then and now I'm 30. So just the fact that they're still generating so much, so much traffic. I'm not sure how much revenue and pipeline it generates for them, but at least it's still, still doing something. <laughs> Probably significant. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. I mean, when you think about going from self-taught, right? And you think about getting into an environment where you want to get some experience in the corporate marketing side. Cool. And then you write these, the first two articles that you wrote, knock it out of the park and that's phenomenal. So I imagine that there was some, you know, awareness of, wow, DJ knows what he's doing. He's doing really well, getting good results. So then there was a point where your manager went away for a month and tell us about what, what went down there. Yeah. So, so more or less, he went away to Thailand for a month. Uh, he goes away there. He went and went. He goes away there every year. I hadn't didn't know that he was going away that year, but he just said, "Hey, I'm going away for a month. For a month. You're in charge of everything." I was like, "Wait, what?" Like <laughs> that literally was how it went. You're in charge. Here you go. Yeah, we had there were like contractors that I had to manage that were you know we were using Upwork at the time for them. There was an upcoming British British Library workshop that had to be done, and I prepared all the workbooks and more or less was. That kind of helped me to see exactly how to run a marketing consultancy firm slash marketing agency, you know, at such a tender age and to manage a list of clients. Like people would still be calling the phone in the office um, and I would pick them up 
schedule it on his calendar. Sometimes I would take the calls if, if he was unable to. It was an incredible journey. Since, since doing that, um, he came back and I think a couple of months later, he then said, right, I think you, it's now the right time for you to be head of content. So more or less managing more clients, more responsibilities. But at that moment, there was like a tipping point because I was set to leave London. I'm originally from London, so I was I was set to leave London and move to the north of England. And obviously, I couldn't no longer work in the office. And he was thinking of replacing me. Or rather, I was saying, okay, you're going to have to replace me. I built out like 15 operational manuals for every single process that, that I'd run in that organization. And then he said, wait, let's, let's not do that instead. Why don't you work remotely? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, like that's always been my, my calling. I've always wanted to work remotely for a really long time. So, you know, working remotely since back then, it was September 2015 till now. Um, it's like I, I know all the tricks of the trade for remote working. I know it's quite new now to a lot of people, but back then it was seen as weird. My parents were like, you're working remotely? Like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> so you're sitting there with your computer just don't you get lonely? Tippy tap, you know. They think that I'm playing games or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Working remotely, they're like, yeah, sure, you're working, DJ. Okay. <laughs> just just wasting time, but you know, that my, my parents back then were like, oh well, you're somehow paying your bills, so they think that you're you're, you're doing something, right? So I'm like, yeah, of course, it's it's all good. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so DJ, as you look back on that, you know, first experience getting into the apprentice as an apprentice then taking over for the team and really the agency when your boss went away for a month. And then you became the head of content after that. What were the key like things that you see looking back on that that enabled you to be successful in that environment and in that role? Yes, I think probably the number one thing that enabled me to be successful in that role was that I brought problems to my manager with solutions. So I didn't just say, hey, there's something wrong with the website or you know, our content strategy isn't working or here's the monthly report for the last month or the last quarter. But I would always come ahead with solutions in terms of how we could improve things and how we could move things to the next level. So being able to be more strategic and start behaving like, an, like a CEO myself is what leveled me up in that way and has enabled me to be able to just take on newer projects because you're able to look at uh, issues that the business may be facing today or might not be facing, but could be facing in the future. And to come up with those solutions that can at least drive more impact for the business has been kind of my number one trick, I guess. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. So tell me more about what, what you mean by behave like a CEO myself. What does mm, that mean? Yes. So to behave like a CEO in my mind means that if this business is my own, how would I treat it? How would I run it? How would I treat my clients? If I was if I was encountering these problems and my manager wasn't there, what would I do? If I'm unable to find a solution myself, where would I go? Am I resourceful enough to be able to seek outside help and outside mentorship? And there were many cases where that happened, where I had to seek other people out for help to ask, you know, what do you think about this particular problem? Uh, can we jump on a call for, for this? And then they would teach me how to solve that problem, or they would at least point me in the right direction so that I can solve myself. I've also learned a lot about hiring. So that comes with being a CEO, being able to hire well, and to be able to spot trends in terms of determining what would make someone a great asset to an organization or not. DJ, that is fantastic. Thank you so much. And I think that sentiment of viewing yourself as a CEO 
could literally apply. I love your your take on this. Could literally apply to anybody in any role, in any position, almost in any company in the world. Is that fair? Yeah, that is that is one hundred percent correct. In fact, it's probably more than that. A lot of people think that they can only do leadership type activities if they have the title head of this or VP of that um, or chief whatever. But actually, in my opinion, true leadership comes from those who lead from the front, regardless of what your LinkedIn title says. It's more about your actions and the impact that those actions have on an organization rather than you know being given a flashy title and a, <laughs> and a good pay rise. But that, 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 that does come with it in the end. And if you're doing the work and if you're leading from the front and you're driving the action and you're getting the impact, the end result of whatever promotion or pay increase or salary or whatever will come its way. It's, it will yeah. come in time. Right? More or, right. or if you know the organization you're with doesn't happen to support that or view your contribution the same way, guess what? There's a global audience out there, partly empowered by Oyster, that <laughs> is available to take advantage of your incredible skill set. So Exactly. That's the whole know, point. Yeah. Exactly. And and I love how you put the, you know, all of that being the CEO, looking at this from a CEO's perspective is all 100% within your control, right? This isn't something anybody else is telling you to do. It's like, well, if I was responsible for this business or this portion of the business or whatever this problem was, how would I solve it? What would I do? Yeah, that's so true. Like, I personally think that everybody is, you know, we are all the CEOs of our own career in one way or another. Whilst it's true that, yes, you can find mentors and you should find mentors uh, to help you improve, but we are all CEOs of our, of our own destiny. And so if you want to get to the next level, find someone who is at that next level and ask them how did they get there and then follow in their footsteps or at least take bits and pieces of knowledge that they've, that they've given to you so that you can move forward to the next level. Oftentimes, you know, promotions don't have to come from within the same organization. You can give yourself a promotion by applying for another job that has the ti- that has the role of responsibilities or title that you're looking for. And sometimes, you know, if your manager or leader does not does not see your your worth or your skill, that trust me, there is someone else who will, and it will be their loss. So, absolutely, a hundred percent. And I love the echo. Something I've said over and over and over again about being the CEO of your career, right? You're the only one who can make the call on what's right for you. You're the only person who can be in charge on the strategic side and say, this is where I should focus, or maybe this is an interest area that I do want to focus on. Now, if I was as CEO of my career, and if I'm saying that's an interest area, let's think about how I could solve that problem. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy the cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. All right. So, and along that thread, you know, you don't, you know, in the beginning when you talked about the self-taught piece, it was all about passion projects on the side. Taught you a lot of these skills that then enabled you to be really successful inside of this agency that you worked for. Are you still running passion projects on the side? And how do you think about those in comparison to your normal day job? 
So yeah, I have been running passion projects for like the last 10 years. So I've built anything from two-sided marketplaces to job boards to publications and small apps as well. So yeah, like the reason why I think I'm able to do that alongside my my day job is because I've automated a lot of it. And I think because I've, I've really taught myself some of the uh, engineering and uh, web development things on the side, at this current time, there's not much maintenance that's required for those projects. Often, actually, it's from those projects where I'm able to test and experiment ideas and I can see the exponential increase and exponential benefits that is generated for uh, from one of my websites, for example, that I then bring on into my organization that I'm working on today and I try and replicate the same thing, tweak a few things here and there, and then I see similar results. And that's probably been the same thing similar similar to what I've done like for the last five, six years, is I like testing and experimenting things. Like even just a simple, you know, blog design, for example. If we're trying to increase the conversion rate of our blog, what most people would probably do is they would just slap a load of pop-ups um, on the side instead. But instead I would do something like I would test instead of throwing pop-ups up on a certain time when someone had been on the page for a certain period of time or when they try to exit, you know, the whole exit intent thing. Instead, I do it based on user activity. And so what the user is doing on that page, if someone's click, if someone clicks a link, for example, they expect something to happen. So I tested, as an idea, I tested doing a pop-up when someone would click on a link to learn more or to gain more resources. Rather than sending them over to like a, a new tab, I would have a pop-up modal and we're able to increase conversions by like 70% or more. And then taking that and implementing it in other organizations has seen similar increases. And I just I would just always have a testing mind. What would what would what would work differently? Just keep hypothesizing. Yeah, and I think that's such a great, you know, piece of advice there is to always keep hypothesizing, right? Nothing's ever done. You've been yeah, it's just always be questioning, like what could be changed, what could be tweaked. And a lot of times in our roles, like we can get caught up in the day to day and all the stuff that we're responsible for and the teams that we serve and all that good stuff. But reality is there's a lot of questions and a lot of things that could probably be optimized if we hypothesized a different outcome. Right. What if? Exactly. And and that's true. You know, it's like the, the what if is something that I kind of lead my life by, um, which is why I said earlier around, I've been put on this earth to reach my potential. I don't think I'm even 10% there yet when I think about it. And I always try to think, what what if there was a way to do this better? What would I do with resources, without resources, and kind of use that and leverage that to um, make a difference, not only on the performance of my marketing work specifically, but also within the organization and trying to make tangible change and like building building safety amongst team members and whatnot. So. Wow. Yeah. And that what if, I mean, two simple words put together, you know, it's all 100% within your control too, right? Having the, taking a step back and saying what if and looking at things from a different perspective, you could do it at any point in time. It's a really, really great piece of advice. It's it's so true because when I think sometimes a lot of people, especially I think in this industry, they try to copy and paste playbooks that they may have seen and used. I think you can't really copy and paste playbooks from one business to another constantly. For example, the way that traditional lead generation is done today um, is let's just spend a ton of money on ads and drive them to demo request forms and then get like 0.1% zero percent conversion rate um or to 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 lead qualified you know to a book demo it it's just not 
it's not as useful as it used to be. But if we started test as an industry, as, as a people, if we just started testing our, our ideas more and start speaking to our customers more often, then we'll actually be able to identify which channels, uh, which messages would resonate better with them. It's always part of the testing framework. I would rather get a thousand, I would rather try thing, try out a thousand things, get them all wrong, but then the next five are, you know, going to provide huge, huge, yeah, huge results, rather than to never test anything, continue doing the same thing and continue getting those marginal increases mm. or improvements. Yeah. So what's the parallel between that and people leadership that you see? Like, is it the same one for one? We should always be testing and iterating on how we engage with our teams and people or? Yeah, yeah. I think when, when it comes to managing people, I think you also always have to be testing different ways of communication different ways in terms of delivering feedback, refining our leadership style and how we manage our teams and making sure that they feel psychologically safe. What can we do? So for example, I was asking myself, what can I do to make my team more psychologically safe in the workplace? Then I would come up with a hypothesis. Oh, what if I was to be more transparent with team members when certain things were happening in the organization? One of the biggest issues that I find in most orgs today is that the information that is given to let's say executives and leaders, or let me just say, information is told to those that affects the least, they're told first. So whereas the information that it affects the most, the, the team members, they're told last, which doesn't make sense. So I've kind of reversed that. And anytime like senior leadership gives me information that affects my team, I tell them straight away in the best way possible. I don't wait weeks. I don't sit on it and try to solve it myself. I, I actually tell them um, and I'd be as frank as possible, but as honest as possible. And that's why a, a, a large number of my team have always said that they really value the fact that, about how transparent I am. Um, and it really helps them feel safe in, in the organization, which is great. And that all stemmed from a hypothesis you had about how could I increase, or if I was more transparent, that would increase the level of uh, psychological safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's all leadership. And then in, in, in those words is one series of one experiment after another to continuously tweak and refine and change and improve. I think it's a wonderful way to look at it. Wow. That's powerful. I'm curious on the psychological safety piece. It has come up in a number of other um, podcasts and, and I know it's a hot topic across the board on teams as well. So in addition to transparency and your hypothesis around that, are there other hypotheses you've had and experimented with that have had great results like that, you know, 70% boost, like you found some, some outliers and a few of your other marketing cases. Have you found anything that's an outlier in the psychological safety environment? Yeah. Like there's been, there's been times where I found that, if you have one-on-ones, at least my hypothesis was, if I were, were to have one-on-ones, how could I be a better manager to my team if I knew more information about them or what their week was like before that one-on-one? That led me to discover a tool called Kona, which is a you know it's an employee retention uh, app. It's a, it really helps to encourage your team to be more more transparent with you. And it does it by asking them in Slack every day, um, how are they feeling? They select a green, yellow, or a red heart. And then when, if they select, let's say if they select a yellow heart, then they can elaborate on how they're feeling. And they can say, oh, I'm feeling stressed today, or oh, I, I, I've had a really terrible headache. And when managers sometimes look at an individual's performance, we don't realize that 
people have lives too. And there's so much that happens outside of work that can affect performance. I remember our leadership team was trying out Kona. And I was like, oh, why are they keeping such a good thing to themselves? So I just went and I asked them, can I have it? And they said, yeah, go for it. And so I tested it um, with my team at the time. I think we were eight. And we could see the trends. Uh, people were averaging yellow. And then when they were using it more often, they're, they're now averaging green more. And our, our one-on-ones are much more productive. It now means that I can tailor exactly how I can spend my time with my team. Some, sometimes in my one-on-ones, I don't talk about work at all. I talk about day-to-day life and what things they enjoy and what they do. Other times it would be, you know, given providing them with deep feedback or they come to me and they say, hey, um, I feel like the role that I'm doing isn't exactly what I signed up for. Now, I wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for, you know, being intertwined with, with how they're feeling throughout those recent weeks and seeing the trends as it tells me that they're feeling a certain way. So yeah, that's, that's been a, been a massive win so far. That's powerful. And what a great way to focus the time you have, the precious little time you have in a one-on-one, not trying to understand what the previous week or two weeks has been like, but actually taking all that because you assume that you know it already from the Kona in this application that helps you do that. And then focusing it on where you can have the greatest impact and whatever the topic and approach might be for that situation. That's really cool. And again, that started as a hypothesis of well, can, how can I make my one-on-ones efficient was the problem, right? Or the question. And then you said, well, if I knew more about the context of my employees' lives throughout the week, then the hypothesis is that I could have more effective one-on-ones. More or less, yeah. <laughs> so it's like it all, it, all come, it all comes full circle. <laughs> yeah, it totally does. That's uh, wonderful. I just love how you look at these challenges and questions and problems as, you know, there's a problem. Let me form a hypothesis. Let me test it and I'll figure out the right way forward. Whichever exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, and you know what? If it doesn't work, sometimes that's totally okay. Uh, I'll try something else. <laughs> so just continue having those ideas. Um, it's kind of how I try to improve my, my, my leadership skills. Wonderful. All right, DJ, last question here. Let's say that you were able to go back in time and sit down with your younger self way back in when you were going to take over the agency running when your boss split for a month. But you know everything that you know today. What advice would you give your younger self? Oh, I would definitely say... Continue doing what you're doing, but try to identify problems that you think will move the needle in every situation possible. And sometimes also doing that outside of your day-to-day role in, in different departments, it can could be. Just because you're, you sit in marketing or sales doesn't mean that the problems you solve are only going to affect your department. Marketing is one of those uh, departments, especially product marketing, that touches a lot of organizations. And so I would definitely say get more involved in other in the work of what other people do and try to understand where you can discover new problems that they're facing and trying to come up with solutions for them. Like one of the things that I do today at Oyster is every week uh, when it's like Fridays on, on Fridays, which is Focus Fridays up here at Oyster, no meetings. I go into Slack, I click on the search bar and I type in loom.com. The reason for that is everyone embeds looms every week for doing team updates and talking about their struggles and their challenges and new projects kicking off. And you wouldn't believe the kind of strategic projects and opportunities that you could uncover from other teams. And the bigger the organization, the more projects there are. I do that every week. And then I just watch all the Loom videos. And then I identify ones that I feel like I could have a tangible input and positive effect on. And then I found that I just contact the person on Slack who uh, created that Loom and I say, hey, can I help up with this? No one will ever say no. (laughs) So 
no, it's my problem. <laughs> and, so, and so I go ahead, I do that. And then I spend some time over the next like fortnight or so to try and help them come up with a solution. And it, it enables me to see outside my own worldview. And that is what will enable you to A, be a better marketer, but then also to just be a better leader in general, to look outside your own, your own peripherals and see the forest. That's absolutely incredible advice. So well said. And what a great, what a powerful thing to just search in Slack, like at the end of every week and find who else is talking about problems that maybe you have an opportunity to help them solve and then offering to partner with them, help them solve it and whatnot. And like you said, nobody will ever say no to you helping to solve that problem. That's awesome. Very cool. All right, DJ. Well, it has been an absolute blast to spend some time with you today. Thank you for sharing your incredible path, experience, expertise, wisdom, the power of a hypothesis. And now we know what that looks like in a leadership perspective, whether that's leadership with people, with your team, whether that's leadership with yourself, whether that's leadership with you and your community, whatever it is, there's a hypothesis that can be put in place to solve a problem or at least find a potential solution to problem. So thank you so much for sharing with us, DJ, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Speak again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.